Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joel chapter number one. And of course, uh, last Sunday night we started the book of Joel, a verse by verse, chapter by chapter study in the book of Joel. And I told you last week that we were going to deal with Joel chapter one in two parts. There's really two parts of the chapter. Uh, the first we dealt with last week, which had to do with the end times prophecy, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to re-preach that sermon, but we saw last week, if you remember, the description of the tribulation period in Joel chapter 1 and how it was uh, distinctly separate from the day of the Lord or the day of God's wrath, and we went through and looked at all that last week, and again, I would encourage you to check that out if you uh, missed that. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the practical applications of the book of Joel. Because, of course, if you remember, last week we talked about the fact that whenever you're studying these prophets, you have to remember that there's a near view and a far view. They, they often are speaking of uh, things that are to come, end times type things, but they're also preaching to people in their time frame right then and there, and there's uh, things that they're dealing with, and I don't want to just ignore those and just talk about the end time stuff, although I understand that that's the things that are probably more interesting to everybody, but it's good to learn what the prophet Joel wanted to teach his people at that time. In chapter 1, what we find is two main lessons and two miscellaneous lessons. There, there are two main lessons. We're going to notice it tonight uh, at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, and they're connected by certain words, and I'll point those out to you. Those are really the main focus or the main lesson, the main application of the chapter. And then in between those, there's these two miscellaneous lessons that I'd like to point out to you as well. So if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take down some notes, uh, I want you to notice some of these things. Joel chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, and I want you to notice these words. And if you're taking notes in your Bible, and I would encourage you to write notes in your Bible and underline if you're, uh, if you're comfortable with writing in your Bible, uh, I, would, I would underline these words, ye old men, hear this, ye old men, and give ear, and then go ahead and underline these words, all ye inhabitants of the land. And I want to show you how those phrases uh, come up again later on in the chapter. They connect these thoughts. Here, the prophet Joel is, is speaking specifically. He says, I'm talking to the old men or the elder men. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear. Then he says, it's not just for the older men. He says, all ye inhabitants of the land. And then, of course, he begins to ask these questions. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? And I want you to notice verse number three. In verse number three, we get really the, the main application of this chapter, the first main point that we see, he says, tell ye your children of it. Because remember, he's talking to the old man. He says, ye old man. He says, hear this, ye old man, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. And he, he says, what, what do you want to tell the old man? He says in verse 3, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. In Joel chapter 1 and verse 3, we see the God-ordained process or the God-ordained plan for passing down truth from one generation to another. You might ask, or you, you're taking notes, you say, what, should I, what would I write down or what would the heading be? Number one, we see the passing down of truth, the passing down of truth. How is it that God has ordained for truth to be passed down from one generation to the other? And I would tell you that it is to be done primarily through the family unit. It should be done through fathers. 
instructing their children, mothers instructing their children. Here, the prophet Joel says to us, he says, tell ye your children of it. He says, you are seeing God's work, you're seeing God's will, you're seeing what God is doing. And he says, the prophet says to the men, he says, I want to make sure that you tell ye your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And I would submit to you, and I want you to understand and what I'm speaking about tonight, and it's the main really message of Joel chapter 1, it's how to keep the next generation from failing. How to keep the next generation from falling away from the things of God. And God has ordained that the main purpose of truth for it to be passed down, He says, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. Keep your place there in Joel chapter 1. That's our text for tonight, of course. And go with me to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 78. If you open your Bible, just right in the center, you'll more than likely follow in the book of Psalms. Psalm 78. Let me show this to you from different uh, places in the Bible. The plan for passing down truth. How are we to pass down truth from one generation to another? It is to be done through the family unit. It is to be done through fathers and mothers. Let me ask a question to you moms and dads. What's your plan for discipling your children? Do you have a plan? What are you doing purposefully, intentionally, to instruct your children to make sure that your children are being passed down the truths that you believe. Someone said this, Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. If we fail to pass down the truth to the next generation, there is no success without succession. We must make sure that the next generation gets, uh, gets the truth, gets the message, gets the doctrine, gets the beliefs, and that it's passed down from one generation to another. Psalm 78 and verse 1 teaches us the purpose, the plan for passing down the truth. Psalm 78, look at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter sayings of old. Now, in verses 1 and 2, he's talking about truths from God's word that are sometimes difficult to understand, parables, things that are hard to understand. Look at verse 3. He says, which we have heard and known. How have we heard it, and how have we known it? Notice, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing, notice, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that, uh, that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers. Every dad in this room should underline those words. Which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Say, why would fathers need to make them known to their children? Notice, it doesn't say that it's the pastor's job to make them known to your children. Now, I'll tell you this, your pastor will do everything in his power to make sure that your kids know what the Bible says. But dad, it's your job. When she commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, you say, why? That the generations to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. What is God's plan for passing down truth? His plan is that fathers, is that mothers, is that parents 
would open their mouths and instruct their children and teach their children and make the word of God known to their children, that they should make them known to their children, that the generations to come might know them. See, the plan for passing down truth is the family. Now, I want you to notice this, that there is a danger to not passing down the truth. Keep your place there in Psalms. We're going to come back to it. And go with me if you would to the book of Judges. Judges chapter number 2. Towards the beginning of the uh, Old Testament, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter number 2. You know what we're experiencing today. When churches like these, like this church, are few and far between. You don't find a lot of preaching like the type of preaching that you hear at Verity Baptist Church. You don't find a lot of churches that have this type of music, that have this type of doctrine. You say, what went wrong? What went wrong was that there have been generations that have been raised that were not taught to grab hold of the things that we believe. This is why now people say that the things we believe are hate speech. This is why now the things that we believe are controversial. This is why now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about, you know, you can't preach against divorce now without people saying you're some sort of a hate preacher. You can't preach against drugs and alcohol. You, you, can't, you can't preach the, uh, the, the biblical structure of marriage, that men are to lead their homes, that wives are to uh, be submissive and, and, and reverence their, their husbands. You can't preach the Bible anymore without somebody being offended. You say, but, but isn't that what you know, generations of Christianity have believed for decades, for years? Yes, it's true, but it can all end if we fail to give our children our beliefs. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, notice what the Bible says. And Joshua, remember Joshua, a great leader, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, led the children of Israel to great victories. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill, Gaash. Notice verse 10, and also... All that generation. So Joshua, the leader, dies, and then his entire generation, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose, notice, another generation after them. Notice these words, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which we had done for Israel. I would submit to you tonight that the work that Verity Baptist Church is doing is, is an amazing work. The things that have been accomplished over the last 11 years, obviously we could do more and we can accomplish more and we want to do more. But God has used this church in a mighty way to be able to start churches and, and reach people and change lives. But it will all be for naught if we don't get a hold and make sure that the next generation takes the torch that we're handing them and runs with it. We need to make sure that the next generation, we need to make sure that it's not said when, when, when Joshua dies and when that whole generation dies that there arises another generation which knew not the Lord. I, you say, what, what's the, what, how do we keep that from happening? Here's how we keep it from happening. Moms and dads get serious about discipling their children, about teaching their children, about making sure that they've got the heart of their children, that their children are being taught. Look, your job, the Bible says, is to train up a child in the way he should go. Say, why? That when he is old, he shall not depart from it. How serious are you? 
How serious are, are you about uh, instilling our doctrine, instilling our beliefs? Here's a question I have for you. And look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to help you think. Have you talked to your children about the things we believe at this church? Have you talked to them about the doctrines that we believe, the things we believe? I'm talking about the King James Bible. I'm talking about eternal security. I'm talking about uh, uh, individual soul liberty. I'm talking about all the doctrines and all the things that you and I believe and hold true that many of you as adults have came here because of the things that this church believes. But have you purposely instructed your children? And says, let, let me teach you what we believe about the deity of Christ. Let me teach you what we believe about the Word of God. Let me teach you what we believe about these things. I remember being a very uh, uh, small kid and having my dad open up his Bible and go to John chapter 1 and begin to read those verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I remember sitting there with my dad and having him explain to us as children what that meant and who the Word was and that the Word was Jesus and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Look, it's not a coincidence. It's not. People sometimes, they'll look at people like me and I appreciate all the kind words and, and things like that or they'll look at someone like Pastor Anderson and they'll say, look at what he's done and look at what he's accomplished. But I would submit to you that it's not a coincidence that both my father and his father are sitting in this church. Amen. And, and, and we can attest to the fact that there was parents in our lives that sat us down and said, let me teach you what the Bible says about this. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. Let me tell you how you ought to live your life. Let me tell you what you ought to do and where you should go and how you should act. Let me tell you what you should believe. Here's what I'm telling you. We must get serious about the next generation. Amen. I would submit to you parents, especially those of you with teenagers, You've got some teenagers, you've got some young people in your life, some young adults, maybe older than teenagers, but single young people in your home. This is not the time to be asleep at the wheel. This is not the time for you to be distracted with whatever hobby or whatever it is. This is the time for you to be connected and engaged. You say, yeah, you know, should I, how much attention should I be paying to my children? Lots. You need to be snooping, you need to be sneaky, you need to, you, you say, uh, should I not trust my children? I say trust, but verify. You need to know what's going on in their lives. You need to know what they're talking about with their friends. You need to know what's going on in that head of theirs. You need to make sure that you are the major influencer in your children's lives. Why? Because the next generation is too important. It's too important, we can't lose it. In fact, if we lose it, we'll have failed. If we lose it, you see, see you, we, we get this idea that our, the kids are important when they're young, when they're little, we got to protect them, and we do. That's why we're family integrated. We're not going to send them off to some Sunday school. We're not going to send them off to some children's church. We're not going to send them off with some stranger that we don't know. All of that is true, but let me tell you something. When they get a little older, they're still important. Amen. It's not time to take our hands off the wheel. Sometimes I look at parents and I think to myself, do they even know what's going on with their children? You talk to parents about their own kids and they're telling you things about their own kids and I'm thinking to myself, that's not true. That's not what your kid's doing right now. That's not what you're doing. Not, not. And, and, and the truth is this, we must engage. Amen. Why? Because it's important. Because the next generation is so valuable. I'm here to tell you, it is your job to make sure, and it is my job to make sure, to the best of our ability, and obviously at the end of the day, it's their choice, but to the best of our ability, we must do everything in our power to make sure that our children walk with God. 
that our children love the Lord. That our children are actually, look, we can't just, we can't just say, oh, well, they're, they're a teenager now, I just gotta let them do whatever they want. No, you need to get engaged. You need to be their friend. You need to be around. You need to watch them and watch their hearts and talk to them and gauge their spirit and, and, and figure out and decide. You look, you're not done till you get to the altar and they say, I do. That's when you're done. Amen. And even then you pray and, and when grandkids come along, you try to help them raise those kids for God. Somebody recently asked me, somebody really recently asked me, he said, what would you do when your kids are old enough to start dating and getting married? What would you, what would you do to, to help them make sure that they marry, you know, the right person or whatever? And I kind of chuckled. I said, you want to know what I do? Because what I do is not what I'm recommending you do. I, but if you want me to ask your question, you know, if you want to know what I do, some punk wanted to start dating my daughter, what I do? is I'd ask for W-2s. That's what I'd do. I'd ask for pay stubs. I'd, I'd, I'd get a detective. I'd uh, run background checks. I'd, uh, you know, get fingerprints. I would, uh, I would call references. I would meet parents. I would talk to neighbors. I would call pastors. I mean, that's what I would do. I say these things and people laugh like I'm joking. I'm not, you know, it's, it might be funny, but I'm not joking. Now, I realize that I might get, you know, I'm the leader of a certified hate group, so I might get you know, away with that. I'm just telling you, so you, you, you do all that. It's not important to me. Yes. It's not important to know where the next generation will go. So it is our job as fathers to train our children. To the, third, to the second and third generation, my job is to, is to do my best to allow my influence to go to the generation that God has given me and the generation past that to make sure that there can never be said of Verity Baptist Church that there was a generation after them which knew not the Lord. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And God has ordained, God has ordained that truth be passed down. From parent to child, from parent to child, from parent to child. And we must not fail at that. So Joel begins this chapter by speaking to the older men. He says, tell ye your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Now, if you remember, I told you there was two main points in this chapter and two miscellaneous points. The first main point was this, the passing down of truth, the importance of the family. Let me show you one of the miscellaneous lessons, not the main objective of the passage, but something that he brings up. Look at verse 4. He says, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. And of course, this is talking about uh, uh, pesticide coming uh, and destroying the land. It's saying the palmer worm came and destroyed the harvest, but what was left over by the palmer worm, then the locust came and, and ate, and what was left over by the locust, then the canker worm ate, and what was left over by the canker worm, then the caterpillar ate, just complete desolation, destruction. Then Joel says this, verse 5, Awake, ye drunkards. And weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. He brings up this idea of drunkenness, all ye drinkers of wine. And here's uh, uh, an example of a truth that has been lost, 
There was a time in our country when every Christian was against drinking alcohol. Today, it seems like most Christians are for drinking alcohol. This is a truth that has been lost. This is a truth that needs to be passed down from generation to generation. Go to Proverbs if you want. Proverbs chapter 23. If you kept your place in Psalm, right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23. This is just a miscellaneous lesson that he brings up in the book of Joel. But I want to bring it out because, hey, I want to make sure this generation and the next generation knows what God thinks about alcohol. Amen. What is it that the Bible teaches? What does the Bible teach about drunkenness? Proverbs 23, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. I'll just show you one, one, one uh, passage here in Proverbs. Proverbs 23, 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Does any of this sound cool? Because it's not. I know our world tries to make it sound like, oh, alcohol is just cool. It's not. Who hath woe, who hath sorrows, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eye. It's they that tarry long at the wine, and they that go to seek mixed wine. Notice verse 31. Look. Here's a command. Hey, young people. Here's a command for you. Your pastor's trying to make sure that there's a doctrine that is passed down from this generation to the next. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. You say, uh, does God want us to drink it? Uh, he doesn't even want you to look at it. Amen. Look not now upon the wine. Now look, people like to make all sorts of excuses. Say, well, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And I've preached on that, and I've taught on that, and we, you know, we can talk about that. But let me just explain something to you. When he says, look not thou upon the wine, when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, you have to admit that there is at least a wine that God doesn't want you to even look at. Well, what is it? Look not thou upon the wine. There's a wine that God doesn't want you to even look at. How do you know which wine? Well, he says, when it is red. The idea here, and of course, if, if you look into how wine is fermented or how alcohol is fermented, the yeast which ferments the wine is found in the skin of the grape. This is what he's referring to when he says, when it is red. He says, when it giveth his color in the cup, the source of the yeast comes from uh, uh, the red skin. He says, when it moveth itself aright, this is referring to the carbon dioxide that was released during fermentation. He's talking about wine that is fermented. And again, I won't take the time to go into it. You can study it out on your own, or you can look up a sermon or whatever. Ask me about it later. Yeah, Jesus turned water into wine. That's for one reason. The Bible uses the word wine for both what we would call juice and what we would call alcohol. Look not thou upon the wine is referring to fermented alcohol. And, and people say, oh, Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, well, here's the thing. The Bible specifically, without equivocation, teaches and preaches against drunkenness, period. I mean, nobody disagrees with that. And, you're, and I'm supposed to believe that Jesus went to a wedding where they drank all the wine. They drank all the wine. The Bible says they had well drunk, and then he shows up with six kegs. I just turned these kegs into alcohol, guys. No, that would be a sin. Jesus turned water into juice, which is referred to in our King James Bible as wine. But Proverbs 23 says there's a certain wine God doesn't want you to look at. When it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. 
Notice verse 32, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let me tell you something. I hope that everyone in this church, and look, I realize you pastor a church and people are going to do whatever they want, but I, I hope that everyone in this church takes the biblical position that God does not want you to look at wine that is fermented, but if I've lost the adults, I at least hope the young people listen to me. How about one day when Pastor Jimenez is long and dead, there'll be a generation of young men and young women that grew up in this church that'll take at least that message, not, you know, the message of the gospel, hopefully, the message of the King James Bible, hopefully, but not just those messages, all the things the Bible says. I hope 80 years from now there's some 35-year-old angry preacher, hate preacher, preaching against alcohol out of the King James Bible. And people say he's crazy, people say he's a hate preacher, people say he's a cult leader. This is what the Bible teaches. We must pass down all our beliefs. There's not only the miscellaneous teaching on alcohol, there's also a miscellaneous teaching on joy. Let me show it to you quickly. We spent many weeks studying the subject of joy in the book of Philippians, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Let me just show it to you real quickly. Look at verse 6. Joel chapter 1 and verse 6. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. And of course, we talked about the, the, the correlation with the time of tribulation, nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And I've laid my vine waste. Isaiah 5 tells us that Israel, the nation of Israel, is a vineyard. Embarked my fig tree and it made it clean, bare, and, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin, girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. I want you to notice, he's talking about destruction, right? Because remember the palmer wood, the uh, worm, the locust, uh, the caterpillar, all these things have came upon the harvest of the land, destroyed it. He says, the field is wasted, the land mourneth, the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. He's talking about all these things have been destroyed. The harvest, the field, it's perished. Notice verse 12. The vine is dried up. The fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered. He's talking about all the food, their harvest, the trees, the field, the corn, the, the, the vineyard. It's all destroyed. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, that which the locust hath left, the canker worm hath eaten. I mean, all of this has been destroyed. And then he says there in verse 12, look at it again. He says, the vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered. Notice these words. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He says, these things are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. 
Now, you and I would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. In fact, if you and I wrote the Bible, we wouldn't write it that way. You know what we would say? We would say the field is wasted. We would say the corn is wasted. We would say the new wine is dried up. We would say that the wheat and the barley, the harvest field is perished. The vine is dried up. The fig tree languishes. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree, the apple tree, the trees of the field are withered. Here's what we would say. They're all withered. And then we would say that our joy is withered because all the, the harvest has been withered. That's how you and I would say it. We would say our joy is withered because we lost the harvest, right? I mean, wouldn't you say, uh, I lost all my finances, I lost my job, I lost all my savings, I lost everything I had in the bank, and because I lost those things, my joy is withered. That's what you and I would say, but that's not what God says. God says, all those things were lost, all those things were withered, because joy is withered away. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Here's the lesson. Losing your things doesn't cause you to lose your joy. Losing your joy causes you to not enjoy the things you have, and for all intents and purposes, you lose them. Do you understand what I just said? Because joy is withered away. That's why they lost the apple tree and the, and the trees of the field, and they're all withered and everything. See, they lost their joy, then they lost everything else. It's not losing things that causes you to not be joyful. It's not being joyful that causes you to lose things. Let me explain to you how you end up being divorced. You know how you end up being divorced? You lose your joy in marriage. You lose your happiness in marriage. You lose the sight of the fact that God gave you the will of God, the will of God for your life, the man or the woman that you swore to be with, to death do his part. You lose your joy in marriage, and then you, you, you stop being happy in marriage. You stop being loving in marriage. You stop uh, putting your energy into marriage. Then you lose your marriage. You say, I lost my joy because I lost my marriage. God says, no, you lost your marriage because you lost your joy. Let me tell you something. You, you start being happy about the house you live in, you might start enjoying it. Amen. You, you start just being uh, content about the clothes you have, you might start enjoying the clothes you have. Some of you don't enjoy the things that God has given you. You don't enjoy your children. You don't enjoy your marriage. You don't enjoy your job. You don't enjoy your house. You don't enjoy your car. You don't enjoy anything that God has blessed you with because you keep complaining about everything that God has blessed you with. If you just, like we talked about this morning, reframed your mind and said, no, this is the car that God has given me. These are the clothes that God has given me. These are the children that God has given me. This is the spouse that God has given me. This is the lot in life that God has given me. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. You might find, oh, I really like my wife. Oh, I, actually, I think I'm starting to like my husband. Oh, I think I'm starting to like my job. I, I think I actually, I don't mind the car I drive. I don't mind the clothes I wear. I don't mind the house I live in. We say we lose things. Things are withered, and then our joy is withered as a result. God says, no, things get withered because joy is withered away. We studied it in Philippians. I won't have you turn there. I'll just read it for you. Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look, and I'm not telling you you have to. Look, I'm just saying be content wherever you're at. Amen. 
If God has blessed you and God has uh, prospered you and God has given you, then praise the Lord. God bless you. And learn to be content wherever you're at. Because it doesn't matter how successful you are in any one area of life, you'll never be completely successful in every area of life. So don't lose, don't allow things to be withered because your joy is withered. In fact, if you just learn to be joyful about what you got, you might start realizing that you're happy with what you have. You're content with what you have. You're satisfied. Go back to Joel chapter 1, look at verse 13. I told you there's two main points and, three mis- and two miscellaneous points. The first main point, we saw the passing down of truth, the importance of the family. That we must pass down truth to the next generation. You say, what's your goal in raising children? My, my goal in raising children, and I'm not, say, I'm not standing here telling you we've accomplished it. My kids are still being raised. I'm just telling you what we're trying to do. Time will tell us if we accomplish it or not. But what I'm trying to do is raise young people that love the Lord, that are faithful to church, that go soul winning, that serve God, that believe the things we believe. Look, I'm not trying to raise some, you know, I'm not trying to pastor some King James only soul winning church so that my uh, kids can grow up to be NIVers. I want somebody after us to stand up for the King James Bible. I want somebody after us to stand up for soul winning. I want somebody after us to stand up for the things that we believe. We must pass down the truth. We must pass down the truth. The plan for passing down the truth is from one generation to the other, from one generation to the other, from one generation to the other. I want you to notice the second main point in this chapter. Not only do we see the passing down of truth, we also see the guarding of truth. We saw the importance of the family, and I'd like you to notice the importance of the house of God. Look at verse 13. Good yourselves and lament, you priests. Howl, you ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Notice verse 14. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a, uh, a solemn assembly. The word assembly means congregation. In our New Testament, it's translated as the word church. Remember in the book of Acts, the nation of Israel in the wilderness was referred to as the church in the wilderness. Sanctify ye a fast, call assembly, uh, a solemn assembly, gather, notice these words. Do you remember this from verse 2? Gather the elders. Remember in Joel 1 verse 2, hear this ye old men. And all the inhabitants of the land. Remember Joel 1 verse 2, hear this ye old men and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Notice he begins in verse 2, by calling the old men and the inhabitants of the land to purposefully give the truth to the next generation. Then in verse 14, he says, Sanctify ye fast, call a solemn assembly, gather, notice the two groups again, the elders and all the inhabitants of the land, to do what? Notice, to go, he says, uh, uh, the inhabitants of the land, into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry unto the Lord. He says, I want you to go to the house of God. You say, why is that? Well, go with me to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In the New Testament, you've got the T books. They're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 3. See, he tells the old men and the inhabitants of the land that they need to pass down the truth, pass down the truth from one generation to another. 
then he tells the elders and the inhabitants of the land that they need to go to the house of the Lord. Why? Here's why. Because it is the house of the Lord that is the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen. Now, we don't live in the Old Testament. We don't have a temple. But in the New Testament, the house of God has been transferred. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, notice, in the house of God. What's the house of God in the New Testament? Which is the church of the living God. Notice, the pillar and ground of the truth. Pillar means that church, the church, is where the truth is supposed to be upheld. The pillar of the truth. Ground means that it is supposed to be the foundation for the truth. What is the church supposed to be? Is the church supposed to be an entertainment center? Is the church supposed to be a fun center? Is the church supposed to be a place where we just come and, and hang out? Now, I definitely believe that part of discipleship is fellowship, and we should fellowship together, and I'm not against any of that. But primarily, you need to understand that the purpose of the church, of a local church, of any church, it is to be a pillar and the ground of the truth. Amen. We are to uphold the truth, and we are to be the foundation of the truth. The house of God is to uphold the word of God and the truth. Why? Look, God just understood this, and God said this. There has to be a place in society. There has to be a place amongst men where truth is guarded. It's not going to be by the government. It's not going to be by the public schools. These places don't guard truth. They change. They're constantly changing. They change with whatever, whatever's popular. There must be a place in this world where uh, the truth of God, where the word of God is upheld, and we say, no, we're not changing. Amen. I don't care what people think about the LGBT. We're not changing. Amen. I don't care what people think about the way uh, women and men should dress. We're not changing. Amen. This is what the Bible says. We're going to hold it up. We're going to uh, uh, defend it. We have to be the guardians of the truth. And by the way, the church house is to do the same thing that you are to do in your house. See, because remember, he, he, he talks to the elders, the old men, and the inhabitants of the land. He says, look, in your house, with your family, make sure you're passing down the truth from generation to generation. Then he says, and then call a solemn assembly and do what? The same thing. He said, what is the purpose of church? For us to teach you from the word of God what the Bible says so that you can then pass it down. Are you there in 1 Timothy? Go, go, go. Well, no, notice 1 Timothy again. 3.15. But if I tell you long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Then go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. Just flip over to chapter 2. Look at verse 2. You say, okay, I'm supposed to come to church and then the truth is going to be presented to me. And that's what we try to do at Verity Baptist Church. To the best of our ability, we try to just give you the truth in heavy doses, the Word of God in heavy doses. We just open up the Word of God, show you what it says, explain it to you, apply it to your lives. But then what are you supposed to do? Well, the Word of God is supposed to be given to you so that then you can pass it along, so that then you can pass it out. 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 2. And the thing that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Notice what Paul said. He just got them, he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, he said, hey, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Then he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, notice, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You say, Pastor Menes, what are you trying to do in your life? You know, here, there, there really just comes down to this one thing. I'm trying to take my kids, I'm talking about the children that God has given my wife and I physically, and I'm trying to show them, I'm trying to tell them, here's how a man should dress, here's how a young lady should dress, here's what the Bible says about it, here's what the Bible says about salvation, here's what the Bible says about the Word of God, here's what the Bible says about work, and here's what the Bible says about ethic, here's what the Bible says about integrity, here's what the Bible says about character, here's what the Bible says about, this is why we're independent Baptists, this is why we're kingdoms only, this is why we believe in separation. I'm trying to teach them those things so that when I'm not around, they will, we will pass down that truth, they will make it their own, I mean, you realize that I, I grew up, in, and here's the point, I grew up in an independent Federal Baptist church, taught these things, forced, forced, my parents forced me to go soul winning, Amen. nobody forces me to go soul winning now, Amen. my parents forced me to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, nobody forces me to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Amen. now, we are, we are to train the next generation, and please don't take this the wrong way, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to tell you. But what I've noticed from the Word of God and what I've noticed practically speaking, there is power in teaching the next generation. You say, what do you mean? Well, Moses was a great man of God. But you know who did more than Moses? Joshua. Elijah was a great prophet of God. But you know who did twice as much as Elijah? Elisha. David was a great king. But you know who did more than David? Solomon. Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh, greatest everything. <laughs> but you know, Jesus said that the things that I do, ye shall do greater works than these. And then, you know, the Apostle Paul took that on and accomplished more. If I can say that in a respectful way. He did more. Not talking about quality, talking about quantity. You know what I've noticed? Is that people that are raised in Christian homes, they, they tend to go two ways. They either rebel and just rebel against what they've grown up and rebel against what they've taught and become complete losers and do nothing for the Lord. Or they exceed. Exceed all expectations. See, that's why I'm thankful. Sometimes people throw it in my face or throw it in my wife's face. Well, you don't, you're not like these other pastors that has, you don't have a history and you don't have this history of, of sin in your life. Uh, maybe that's why God, maybe that's why God is using Pastor Anderson so mightily. Because he doesn't have a history of all these things in his life. Maybe there's just something about the next generation that if we can just take, you say, you, you, I'm not against people with their past. I'm not against all those. I, I, I think we're going to see it in Joel chapter 2 that God can restore that which the locusts eat. And I'm not against that. But what I am telling you is that better than God restoring what the locusts has eaten is that we just pass down the truth. And that these kids don't have scars. They don't have history. They don't have divorces. They don't have drug addictions. They don't have those things to have to deal with. And then they could be the young man at 25 and 30 and 35 leading great soul winning efforts across the country. Amen. Putting in decades to serve God with their lives. Why? Because a mom and a dad decided we will pass down the truth to the next generation. 
How does that happen? How is that done? It's done through parents, but it's done through the church. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice this is a theme with the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 10. Notice what he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is one of my goals as a pastor, that I could look at our church family and say, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. I haven't hid anything from you. I've told you everything I believe. You may not like it. The world may not like it, but we've not hidden it. What we've heard in the ear, we've shouted from the housetops. But that was fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. He says, but continue. What is Pastor Man is saying to every young person in this room right now? Here's what I'm saying to you. Listen up. Continue. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. We've taught you some things around here, kids. We've taught you some things from the Word of God. We've taught you some doctrine from the Bible. And we want you to continue. We want you to take the torch from us and run the race that is set before you and do more. Accomplish more. Reach more people. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. See, our job is to teach people to continue. You see, the same thing we're, we should all be doing at home, passing down the truth to the next generation, is the same thing we're trying to do here as a church. We're, we're taking the truth. We're taking the truth. We give it to you. There's a reason. Look, you've heard me say this before. I don't, my, my goal, one of my goals is not to preach to be heard, although I hope you're listening, and if you're not listening, I'll just yell a little more and wake you up. My goal is not to preach to be heard. My goal is to preach to be repeated. I, I do my best to not give you complicated outlines. I do my best to, to encourage you to write down some notes. I do my best to, to teach you things in such a way that you can repeat them over and over again. Why? Because what we want you to do, see, see, this church has one preacher that is preaching the word of God, but if we could take the 160, the 170 people that show up on a Sunday night, show up on a Wednesday night, and teach you the word of God and make you a preacher. You say, I'm a woman, I'm not supposed to be a preacher. But you can open your mouth and teach your children. You older women can be uh, used of God to minister to these younger ladies. If you can teach your co-worker, if you can teach your neighbor, if you can teach other people those things. I'm trying to get you to be a preacher. I'm not saying stand behind a pulpit and go on some crusade. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to take the truth. We, our goal is for you to take the truth from here. And teach it to others. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 73. My wife and I met when we were teens. When we met, she wasn't saved. By the grace of God, the Lord allowed me to be able to present the gospel to her and she got saved. It took about three months, but, you know, finally got saved. <laughs> and, you know, once my wife, you know, she, she got saved, and I said, whatever your good soul winner says, I said, you should come to church. She said, I don't want to go to church. I said, just once, just one time. Just come this one time. And she came once, and then she never stopped coming. And my wife was 
just, you know, the, the dream convert. Have you ever had a convert? You know, some of you have recently had converts that got baptized and all that. My wife was the dream convert. I mean, I got her saved. She got baptized. She got rid of her pants, started wearing dresses, started going soul winning, reading the Bible, all those things immediately. And, and, and people, people would look at it and say, wow, it's an overnight success. <laughs> What they didn't see was the three months before she got saved, right? Because we'd work together as kids, you know, at Subway or whatever, and, we, and we'd talk. And, you know, there comes a point where you can't just keep giving the Romans road to somebody just day after day after day. So, you know, I'd try to get her saved, but then we'd talk about other things. So we, we'd just talk about the Bible. We'd talk about, uh, you know, creation and science and evolution. But we'd also just talk about, well, you know, well, here's what my church believes about the King James Bible. And she's like, oh, that's really, you know, that's kind of interesting. She wasn't even saved. You know, and I'd be teaching her about the King James Bible and teaching her about, you know, that the ladies in our church don't wear pants. And she'd ask questions like, well, how do they go swimming? And how do they do this? How do that? And I'd talk to her and explain it. I'd teach her all these things, you know, about Bible reading and praying. Well, when she got saved, she was already pretty much discipled. She showed up to church and people were like, man, she's just like, the Spirit of God is about her. I mean, she's just soul winning with the Bible. Yeah, but somebody had taught her those things already. See, you say, what are we going to do with the 118 soul winners that show up soul winning here uh, every week? We want you to go out and get somebody saved. But you know what we also want you to do is to follow up with that convert and you start teaching them what the Bible says about the King James Bible. You start teaching them about Bible reading and prayer time and soul winning and tithing. You start teaching them and then about baptism. And they show up here and they hear it and then everybody will say like, oh, they're just an overnight success. <laughs> but it's your job. It's your job to continue in the things that thou hast learned. And it is our job to commit those things to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We want you to invest in others. We want you to teach others. We want you to, to find people that, you, that, that, that are your neighbors or your co-workers or your friends or your family. Are a stranger that you knocked on their door and got them saved. And it is your job to teach them also. Help them along the way. So when they come to a place like this and they hear me preach, it's not this like shock, like, he, they, you guys believe what about the LGBT? <laughs> they should have already got a heads up from you <laughs> if you've been discipling them. And I'm not saying that's the first thing you talk about either. You know, don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is this. We, I don't want a church of, of, of 200 congregants. We want a church of 200 preachers that go out and invest their lives and teach others also. Amen. And invest in others. And teach others. And you say, well, I can do that with a convert. Okay, but can you do it with your children? This is the goal. Otherwise, Christianity will go extinct. Psalm 73, we'll finish right here. What are the two main truths of Joel chapter 1? Passing down our faith to the next generation and passing down our faith through the house of God. Psalm 73 is a famous psalm of a man named Asaph. You're probably familiar with it. And he almost quit on God. And it's interesting because if you look at Psalm 73, it highlights the same two things that the prophet Joel highlighted to the old men, the elder men, and the inhabitants of the land. That we must pass down the truth to the next generation, and it must be done through the word of God. Let me show it to you. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such that are of a clean heart. Now keep in mind, at the beginning of the psalm, he's backslidden, okay? So this is how backslidden people talk. He says, God is good, but not to me. He says, truly God is good to Israel and to such that are clean heart. He says in verse 2, but as for me, right, because we're always the exception. 
My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What's wrong, Asaph? When he says, my feet were almost gone, my steps were well nigh slipped, that's what we would call being backslidden. He said, I almost quit on God. I almost got backslidden. I almost stopped serving God. Why, Asaph? What happened? Verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firmed. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. He says, I almost got out of church. I almost got out of serving God because I started looking around at the wicked of the world. I got envious at the foolish because I started looking around and I realized there's no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're, they have no trouble. They are not plagued like other men. And he's really talking about himself. Look at verse 11. He says, and the wicked people, not only do they prosper, and they say, how does God know? And uh, is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, notice what Asaph says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. He said, I looked at the ungodly, wicked men, and I saw them prosper. I saw them increase in riches. And I thought to myself, I must have joined the wrong team. I mean, look at what he says in verse 13. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He says, he says living right, living separated, doing all these things, it's, it's, it's a waste. I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. He says, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He says, I've been trying to live right and nothing goes right in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm all day long have I been plagued. I've been chastened every morning while they prosper. Then he says this in verse 15. If I say, I will speak thus. Behold. Notice what he says. He says, I've been saying all these things in my head, Asaph says. That's what some of you do. I've been saying all these things in my head. I haven't said it out loud. I've just been thinking in my head, why am I serving God? I'm looking at all these wicked people and they're all prospering. They don't die uh, uh, in, in bands and they don't have trouble like other men do and they're not plagued like other men are. They prosper in this world. And I'm cleansing my heart. I'm living in innocency. I'm trying to do right. I'm going to church. I'm doing these things. It's not, it's not working out uh, for me. Then he says this in verse 15. If I say, he says, if I actually said this out loud, if I actually quit the church, if I actually told people, I'm going to quit on God because of these things. He says, if I say, I will speak thus, behold. Notice what he says, behold, I should offend against the generations of thy children. You understand what he just said? Asaph said, I can't quit on God because it will hurt the next generation. Hey, by the way, that's a good reason not to quit. You say, I- I'm thinking of quitting on the church. You know what's a good reason not to quit? Your kids. People say to me, oh, I'm not, I'm not happy in my marriage. We're only staying married for the children. I think to myself, what's wrong with that? That's a good reason to stay married. Because if, if I quit on God, if I quit on marriage, if I quit on right, I would offend the generation of thy children. See, your life is not about you. It's about the next generation. Then he says this in verse 16, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God. He said, And then I went to church. And then the preacher stood up. And then the preacher began to preach and began to tell me that I should be content in whatever state I am. 
That if I just have joy, then, uh, then I will uh, not be sad about all these other things. And if I find my joy in the Lord, he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou canst, uh, castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment that they are utterly consumed with terror? Here's all I'm telling you. Asaph understood two things. He said, I cannot quit. I cannot quit. Why? Because I must pass down the truth to the next generation, and it must be done through the local church church. Amen. And they're both really doing the same thing. Your house should be a little church where you, father, you're the pastor of that church. Mom, I don't know, you're the deacon. I don't know what you are. <laughs> you're, the, you're on staff. You're not the deacon. You know what I mean. Your job is to teach those children, instruct them, Disciple them. Yes, you are to feed them. Yes, you are to correct them. Yes, you are to educate them. You are to do all those things. But don't forget that you're also to disciple them in the things of God. You do that at home. Then you come here and we do that for all, everyone. And that's how we'll keep Christianity from going extinct. Because if you remember, Christianity, the Bible, truth, it, it's just one generation away from being extinct. And honestly, if you just think of it in a practical way, there's only a handful of churches. Think about this. And I'm not sitting here telling you, like, we're the only ones. But really, where are the churches in the United States of America that are standing up against all this sodomite garbage today? I mean, if, our, if we fail to pass that down to our children, that will be lost. No one will be teaching that. Where are the churches that are soul winning? If we fail to pass that down to our children... And our children grow up to not be soul winners, it could very well be lost. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. So it's our job to make sure that when we die, when we're gone, the next generation takes up the mantle. The Elisha, the Joshua, the Solomon, the, the Paul, they take that truth and do greater things with it. Let's bow our heads and I will to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the book of Joel. Obviously, in Joel chapter 1, there's just a lot of prophetic, end times, interesting things. But there's some very clear, practical things as well. We need to teach the next generation. And our church needs to teach others also. We need to commit. We need to... Commit to them the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. We need to commit that to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a church filled with soul winners, but not just soul winners, soul disciplers. People that would disciple others, that would teach others, that would... I'm not talking about a structured program. We have those. I'm talking about just living life alongside another believer and saying, hey, let me take you out to lunch. Let me show you what the Bible says about baptism. Let me, let me invest in you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to do that with, with the converts you bring to us. When we knock on someone's door and they get saved, help us not to forget about them. To the people you've brought in our lives, our neighbors, co-workers, family members, help us to invest in them and teach them. And Lord, help Christianity, and we know it won't, but help, it, help, help this next generation coming out of Verity Baptist Church to be a strong generation that would accomplish great things for you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.